heights to the depths of the Underline that word Amorites, and I want you to put a scripture reference over. I'm going to read it to you, but put the reference right over Amorites, Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13. Genesis 15, verse 13. And why there? Because notice what he said, that Manasseh has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah to sin with his idols. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Our scripture today says, He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him. This was a remarkable achievement of evil. The Amorites were among the Canaanite tribes who populated the Promised Land before Israel captured it, and they were infamous for their violent, immoral, and depraved culture. Both his ears will tingle. In other places of the Old Testament, tingling ears are a sign that an especially severe judgment was coming. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins today in verse 10 of chapter 21 in the book of 2 Kings. The temple, or in the tabernacle, one altar, and there they ought to worship. Very simple. When God wants to tell us how to worship him, we we better listen and not think outside the box and go, well, this is the 21st century. You know, God is a hip kind of guy. No, he wants to be worshipped in a right way. And it's not up to us to say, well, I'm going to worship the Lord with dancing with snakes. Well, go for it. If you get bit, you know, hope somebody's got the end of venom next to you. Why would you do that? Why would you worship with snakes? And there's people in Florida and Alabama who, you know, they have services where they hand out venomous snakes. Do you know that? It's crazy. And they tempt God and they call it worship. It's not worship. It's stupidity. <laughs> it's stupidity. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he also made his son pass through the fire. He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He went down to Key West and got his palm read. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are happening in Manasseh's life. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, to provoke him to anger. Yes, do you know you can provoke God to anger? After all that he's done for us? When he made his son pass through the fire, what he literally did is he sacrificed his son to the false god Molech. And Manasseh did just what his grandfather Ahaz did. In Second Chronicles 28 it tells us, 
speaking concerning Ahaz. Let me just read this to you briefly. For Ahaz, his grandfather, Manasseh's grandfather, did this too. For he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So this role of a grandfather or a grandmother is a great one. He didn't learn it from Hezekiah, his dad, but his grandfather. And today, America is guilty of the same crime. I know I don't need to tell you this, but for the most part, you know, these, you know, um, a child today is killed in the womb before it's born. But in Manasseh's day, they did it postpartum as I shared with you earlier. And there are even some states in our country right now that are passing laws, and laws are on the books to be passed, to allow up to 23 days or something like that after a child has been born to murder the child. Can you believe that nonsense? I mean, honestly, where, where are the hearts and minds of these people? They are so evil. Yes, they are evil. And if they don't repent of their sin, they're going to go straight to hell. Well, tell me what you really mean, Pastor Rob. No, that's the truth. If they don't repent of their sin, this is beyond lunacy, what we're seeing in our country today. And every Christian should not be happy about it. They should be calling their representatives, saying we don't want any part of this in any state, much less our own. Pray. Pray about it, okay? We've got to pray. It's horrible. I would encourage you, time doesn't permit us to do it, but look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6, because it talks about this whole idea of, of Molech and, and, and the things that they did. Uh, again, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. But let's go on to verse 7 now. So he even set a carved image of Asherah. Remember the Canaanite female goddess, the goddess of fertility. He created this carved image that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name there forever and will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave to their fathers. And here's the... the um, Only if, only if they are careful to do according to all that I commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. And I'd have you write a couple other things. In in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 5 through 11, we have what's known as the Davidic covenant, where God makes a covenant to David and basically tells him that from his seed there would be an everlasting covenant uh, everlasting kingdom, and he would have an everlasting house, David would. And obviously it's speaking all the way down through Jesus Christ, who was of the root of David, was of the tribe of, of Judah. And then later on in First Kings chapter 8, when Solomon, after he had built the temple, after David had passed from the scene, his son Solomon built this temple. And what does it tell us? It says that... Um, that, that Solomon had uh, had prayed to God, he dedicated the temple. I'd encourage you to read First Kings chapter eight, 
verses 14 through 21. And what we just read here in the last couple of verses in 7 and 8, you can read those two uh, passages and get an idea where they came from. They came from that Davidic covenant and also Solomon's prayer and dedication for the temple. It speaks all about that, about how God had created this place for them to worship. And they weren't to do those other things. But notice in verse 9, it says, But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced. And, and notice the term there. He seduced them. It literally means he, he designate or pointed out. That's literally what the word means. So they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And so there is a cost to ignorance and rebellion, isn't there? There's a cost. And they are going to pay the price. And the Lord, verse 10, spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites. Underline that word Amorites, and I want you to put a scripture reference over. I'm going to read it to you. But put the reference right over Amorites, Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13. Genesis 15, verse 13. And why there? Because notice what he said, that Manasseh has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah to sin with his idols. So as a leader and a shepherd of Israel, he should have been pointing them to the Lord, but again, he was pointing them uh, to useless idols and doctrines of devils. He was pointing them to those things. But this is why that's so important. I had you underline Amorites because in Genesis 15, now remember, this is back several hundreds of years prior to what we're talking about right now. What did God say to Abraham? Well, let me read it to you. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13. Notice this. Very important. Then God said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants, and this is after God had brought Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, meaning modern-day Iraq, brought him up to Haran and then finally down to the Promised Land, what you and I would call Israel. And this is a very long time ago. God says to him, Know certainly that your descendants, Abraham, will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Who is he talking about? The Egyptians. The Israelites... These people hadn't been born yet, but through Abraham's line, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their, their, their people would be led into captivity, or they would be in, in, in Egypt, and they would serve them 400, it's really 430 years. But um, and notice, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge, and God did that, didn't he, when he brought them out of, out of uh, uh, Egypt? He judged them, and he judged Pharaoh in the, in the, Dead sea, or in the Red Sea, excuse me. And afterwards, they shall come, meaning the Jews, they shall come out with great possessions, and they did that as well. They spoiled the Egyptians. But now in verse 15, it says, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Why? 
for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Didn't we just read about these people here in this verse, in verse 11? The Amorites? God had given them over 400 years at least to turn from their sin. Is God patient? Is he, is he just? He's, he's a very patient God. He's been patient with me, even though I've given him every reason to snuff me out. Has anybody here tonight given him reason to snuff you out? <laughs> he has. I don't deserve what he has given me. In fact, I think that's a really good prerequisite to having a heart that's right to receive Christ, is knowing that I don't deserve anything that God has for me. But he gives it to you and I as a gift. Christ paid all the price for it, but you and I, get the, we're the beneficiaries of that, of that salvation, of that grace. And that's something that we can't earn. And that just makes you want to love God even the more, doesn't it? And I have to throw this in here because we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff. You know, this is not a good time in Israel's history. But it's nice to balance it with the grace and the love of God because that's the truth, folks. And I hope you know that. And I believe most of you do. But never get tired of knowing how much God really loves you in spite of your performance, in spite of who you are as a person. He loves you just the way you are. But we need to change in the sense of coming to him. But he can use who you are. Your personality doesn't have to change. He'll take your personality and who you are and redeem it. If you're a really quiet person, you may be a quiet person after you get saved. If you're a real outgoing personality, you're probably going to be very outgoing once he gets a hold of your life. He can use you and he loves you. Don't ever forget that. Especially while we're going through such darkness in this period of the scripture. Don't lose sight of the love of God. And I think you'll see just how great God is at the end. So therefore, verse 12, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears it, both their ears will tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. That doesn't sound very good, does it? That sounds to me like God had had enough. Now is time to, for chastening. He's going to flip that plate over, scrape it right off. But God, his anger is but for a moment, the Bible says. And yes, he is severe. And he caused his own people to go into captivity. But did he leave them there forever? Did he say, I'm done with you forever? See you later. I'm going to the Gentiles. Is that what God did? No, it is not what God did. He told them, even before they went into captivity, that he was going to deliver them. He told Jeremiah that 70 years, they're going to be in Babylon, and they literally could go and count the days before God would let set them free. And he did. In that 70th year, he brought them back because of his loving kindness, because of his goodness. Everybody smile, because you need to smile right now, because some of you have already had dinner, you've had a long day, and now we're talking about death and judgment and hail and brimstone, and I just need to see somebody smile, because... Everybody awake? All right, we're good, we're good, we're good. Yeah, only a couple people dead. All right, we're good, we're good. Only a couple flatliners. We're good, all right. <laughs> Notice, he's going to do this because, why? Verse 15, they have done evil in my sight. 
and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. And these enemies spoken of in verse 14, where it says, I will give them into the hand of their enemies. Certainly it's speaking of the Assyrians, which we're going to, um, which we know, uh, Hezekiah was ultimately going to go to, uh, Babylon through the Assyrians. But ultimately it's going to be speaking of the Babylonians. The Babylonians would ultimately come for Jerusalem, but it wouldn't be for uh, more time ahead yet. God was very gracious with Judah and Jerusalem. He gave them so much rope. You, you, know, what that, you know what that rope is? You, you know, something, we've heard of that long rope. You know, you give somebody a lot of rope to hang themselves. Well, God gives enough rope in his grace. He's hoping that before you hit you know, the bottom of that rope, that you will turn. And that, see, that's his heart, too. He gave them, he's very gracious. The Bible says plenteous in mercy. I love that in the King James. Plenteous in mercy, long-suffering. I wish Gail Irwin were here. If you ever heard Gail Irwin do this, you'd, you'd, you'd giggle with the suspenders. You know, I, won't, I can't even do it, so I won't even do it. But God is patient. And God was going to be faithful to the promises that he had made Write another verse down here. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Because God is going to be faithful to his promises that he made. And what is this promise? The Lord said, verse 13 of Jeremiah 9, because they have forsaken my law, and here God is speaking to Jeremiah to give this message to Judah, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they've walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which their fathers taught them, notice, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with worms. Wood. That's never a good thing. And I will give them water of gall to drink. This is not Gatorade. This is something really horrible. And I will scatter them. Notice what God says. I will scatter them among the Gentiles whom neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. It's been said by one great man of God. His name is Merrill Unger. He said, those who sin against the greatest light fall into the deepest darkness. And I think about the light that Manasseh had, having such a great dad, Hezekiah. And because of that great light that he had, this man plummeted to the very bottom he plummeted right to the bottom. Verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other because his sin by which he had made Judah to sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, um, it, it's at this point we believe uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, you might want to write this verse down in the margin of your Bible off of 16. Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, Hebrews 11 verses 36 and 37. Notice what it says. This man was so evil... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, I should be crying. Notice what it says in Hebrews, verse 36. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. But notice, they were stoned, 
meaning they were stoned to death. Some of these heroes of the faith were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. But notice when it says they were sawn in two. Tradition tells us, Jewish tradition tells us, Jerome, the translator, tells us, And again, this is a tradition, but it's believed that it was Manasseh that had killed Isaiah the prophet. This is what the tradition tells us. And tradition tells us that they hollowed out a log. They hollowed out the log and they stuck him in it. And then they got the guys with the saws and they sawed the tree in half, thus sawing him in half. This Manasseh, putting to death one of the greatest prophets Israel has ever known, Isaiah the prophet. Verse 17, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did, and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the books, book, excuse me, of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Well, funny you should ask. Go ahead and ask. Is it, is it really there? Yeah, let's go there. Go with me to Second Chronicles now, chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Again, if we only read this passage in 2 Kings, we wouldn't know the best part of Manasseh's life. And this is why I'd like for you to encourage you, whenever you read Kings, and I've said this before, look at the parts in the Chronicles that, that, that correspond to those kings, because oftentimes you'll get more information, and this is one that I'm really glad that it's written here, because otherwise we would have missed the, one of the most glorious things that ever happened. Second Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 10. Notice this. So, you know, Second Kings told us what a horrible man. Now, let's fill in the blanks a little bit. What happened in the latter part of his reign? What caused him to turn? And here's the exciting part, folks. And the Lord, Second Chronicles 33, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but notice they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. And this king of Assyria at this time was probably Ashurbanipal, who reigned from 668 to 626 BC. But notice, he took Manasseh with hooks. And literally, in the margins of your Bible, you might even, it might even say they, they, they put hooks. In, in his nose, nose hooks. And they bound him with bronze fetters and they carried him to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, notice this, he implored the Lord his God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and he prayed to God and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. This is incredible, folks. This is amazing. This horrible man goes into, into, into prison, being led by hooks in his nose, and he gets changed. The Lord gets a hold of him, and the Lord listens to him. And, he, and God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom, and then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Oh my goodness, the light bulb goes off. After this, notice, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel. And he raised it to a very great height. He put military captains on all the fortified cities of Jerusalem. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. 
He cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. This is like a, a revival. <laughs> Certainly not like Hezekiah, but he, he really understood the grace of God. And, and look at the response of a heart that has been in such darkness. And then God hears him, and God does this for him. See, we're always indebted to God. We're always indebted to him. He doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.